So long, farewell, our readers and good night. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. So long, farewell, our readers and adieu. Adieu, adieu, to you and you and you. Um, I don't even know which language this guy was speaking because Adieu is French, but you know, it's, this guy's got a little German fit on. But, anyways, welcome to episode 20 of the Tall, Dark, and Ratchet podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Marcel Williams. And the reason I'm starting things off with a nice little farewell is because I am moving. He's tall, he's dark, and a ratchet. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My time here in Kelowna has come to an end. Um, it's uh, It's been an interesting ride, to say the least, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to be spending the majority of this podcast essentially just reflecting, you know, um, trying to put some context into uh, my gypsy lifestyle and kind of why I'm bouncing around and bouncing back again. So uh, I'm going to take it back to uh, Winnipeg 2013. It's a very significant time in my life. That was a very um, dramatic pivot for me, if you will. So just to give you some backstory, I was at the time a radio personality on Virgin Radio, which is uh, one of the big stations in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Now, prior to that, I had um, had some uh, a bit of a falling out with a previous radio station, Streets 104.7. Now, at that station, the hip-hop station, I was wearing many hats. I was actually working four different jobs there. I initially started off as a radio personality in the evenings, which later turned to um, also doing the assistant music direction. So I was assisting in selecting the music that would get played onto the station. Then after that, ended up doing some sales. So I was an account executive as well. And then finally, um, a promotions director all of which I was doing simultaneously and all within uh, the first six months that I get these level ups. Now, I love that station. It was an independent hip hop station. I was the only person who was non-Aboriginal on the station initially. And, um, you know, I got to talk every single day about things that I want to talk to. And there was a lot of freedom in terms of expressing yourself, which is a large reason as to why I'm doing this podcast now. Because I love to talk shit, uh, but I don't like to be censored. So when I finally left Streets over some differences um, due to um, them relieving a co-host that I had at the time, I kind of found myself in a lull. For months, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And then eventually found myself on Virgin Radio also in an evening position. Now, I think the misconception, especially back in that time, because this is seven years ago we're talking about, I think the misconception was is that you were a media personality. So, um, you know, there was a lot of perks that came with. So, you know, some people want to give you some stuff for free. Some people wanted to book you for hosting gigs and so on. Um, the one thing that doesn't really get mentioned often is that similar to um, a serving job, your wages aren't that great. You're mostly relying on your tips. So as a radio personality in 2013, I was making $12 an hour. Now you can imagine with a five hour evening show, doesn't really amount to much. 
you've got car payments, you've got rent, you've got to eat, you've got to travel around. So I found myself in a very precarious situation. And around that time, I found myself hanging around a lot of um, misfits, if you will. Now, keep it to count. At this time, you know, I'm 25. Um, I've been doing radio and stand-up for a few years at this point. So, you know, I'm out and about, very personal person, very social. And one night in, I want to say March of 2013, I was raided by the police. Now, I had once faced a similar situation where my home had been raided. However, I wasn't there at the time. So it was a bit different of a circumstance because the first time it happened, um, it was a roommate of mine who had gotten himself into a little bit of trouble with the law. They came looking for him, came into my place. They actually picked me up from the radio station at uh, streets at around 11 p.m. at night after my shift. Um, they had arrested me. They later on found out that I was not the person that they were looking for. So I was not charged with anything. So I avoided that, um, initial drama. But again, fast forward 2013. Um, I want to say March. I'll never forget this night. Actually, I was out with uh, my mother watching a movie. I don't remember the movie, but as a radio personality, you kind of get those little perks, right? You get to go see some free movies. So I went to go see whatever this free movie was at the time. And, um, I went to a studio where a bunch of me and my friends, um, would frequent. Now, after leaving this studio, I noticed that there was, you know, some cops kind of peeking inside of my vehicle. So I was a little bit, you know, curious as to what was going on with that. So later on that evening, you know, I'm a little bit already kind of frazzled, if you will, about, you know, what was looming kind of felt something was off. I don't know if it was uh, intuition. I don't know if it was a spidey sense. I don't know if it was just, you know, karma trying to wake me up and telling me, listen, buddy, something's about to happen this evening. So I went to bed around midnight. Now at anywhere between three and four in the morning, all I hear is a loud thud. Now at first I'm thinking to myself, uh oh, we got some more, you know, haters in the neighborhood because only a couple of weeks prior to that, somebody had thrown a brick through my window. Now, the reason why that happened, can't tell you. I was living in St. Boniface, which is a French, very rural kind of area in Winnipeg. So who knows? Maybe they just didn't like the way I looked. So I hear this crash, this boom sound, and then I hear multiple footsteps charging to the bedroom. Now, this is a tiny spot, so it didn't take them very long to actually get to my room. And once they got there, all I saw, keep into account, I was in a deep REM cycle of a sleep where a bunch of rifles and flashlights pointed to my face. Now, you can imagine, you know, a 25 year old, little light skinned guy, rifles pointed to your face. You're in your underwear. You're all disoriented. I was definitely frazzled. Now, I think the worst part of this entire thing was that as we were leaving our home in handcuffs, the neighbors were all watching and spectating because, you know, they just saw a bunch of police vehicles and um, a couple of guys and a lady getting escorted out of their home in their undergarments. 
So now I'm just, you know, confused, don't really know what's going on. I'm like, what am I in trouble for now? Now, at this point, I still don't really know what's what we're being taken in for. And then finally, once, you know, I'd done a few push ups in this little holding cell that they had me in, um, they brought me in for some questioning. They asked me some some details about certain things that they had acquired in this home. Now, of course, I'm not going to go into too many crazy details just because, again, I don't know what the statute of limitations are in Canada. With that being said, um, the person who had been um, doing the fingerprints was like, oh, it seems as though this is not your first time that your home has been raided. Well, this time you're not going to be as lucky. We're going to charge you with something. Now, the person taking my fingerprints listened to i guess they had the radio playing in the background and i was doing one of the drops in the background on this radio station promoting one of the the nights that i was supposed to be hosting so as i'm getting my fingerprints done all i hear in the background is make sure you come on down to tyc this thursday with your boy marcel williams so now the person taking my fingerprints is like oh that's you isn't it of course embarrassed you know scared of what what's to come I'm like, yep, that's me. So now they kept me there for hours, hours and hours and hours. Come to find out that person taking my fingerprints used to babysit the program director at Virgin. So now I'm just like, okay, I am hooped. I am effed. So fast forward, um, I finally get let go in the morning time. But now this couldn't have happened at the worst at a worse time in my life. Not personally, but professionally, I had just started at this radio station probably six months in. Now, there was an acquisition that had just been made where Astral Media had been bought out by Bell, meaning that it was going to be this massive entity that was going to open doors for you know some of the other mother and sister companies that Bell um, encompassed. So, there was a massive meeting between all of the owners and, of course, the staff, including on-air personalities and so on. Now, when I didn't show up to this meeting, wasn't a good look. Looked unprofessional that I just didn't care to show up for the meeting. You know, some of the people were asking, oh, just has anyone seen this guy? Do we know where he is? What's going on here? So now by the time I'm released, which, by the way, they give you this really funky little outfit. They give you like this like paper mache jumpsuit, not very stylish. Then again, I feel like now if I seen somebody rocking that, I'd be like, you know what? If you had a little off white belt around your waist, kind of nice. So anyways, I get released. First thing I do is I go over to my place. I see the doors all boarded up because they had just kicked it in. Neighbors are like, oh, yeah, what was going on last night? You know, it was a, it was a light show. I'm embarrassed. Don't really know what to answer. Now, not only was there a big meeting that day with all of these big execs, there also happened to have been an interview with a stand-up comedian that I was supposed to be the one being the interviewer. Now, this is the first time that I was supposed to interview this, this person, they, and they thought I'd be a great fit because they're like, oh, you do stand-up comedy? Maybe we'll start this new section here where you can interview the um, stand-up comedians that come into town. Great opportunity great way to network, great way to practice some interview skills. But guess what? I didn't show up. So 
um, they finally, I finally get, uh, uh, my, my telephone back and then I message the, the person, the producer who, um, I was in contact with in terms of doing these interviews. And I told him, listen, I had a family emergency. Um, I apologize. I couldn't make it just replied back with disappointed and I don't blame them. I don't blame anyone in this whole thing, by the way, I'm not here to, uh, first of all, this is the first time ever actually saying this. This is seven years after the fact. And it's the first time I've ever actually divulged this, um, this tale in its entirety, but I feel like it's important to add some context to what I'm trying to explain later on. So, um, yeah, so time goes by, I'm just, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do at this point because I have just had, and I also, I had some funds, which by the way, guys, if you have money just laying around places, put it in the bank. Cause yeah, the police will take that and they will call it proceeds of crime, whether it is or it isn't. So I, um, all the money that I'd made from hosting and stuff like that, that I'd kept around, they had confiscated, excuse me. And, um, any money I had saved up, had to go towards lawyer fees because whether you are found guilty or not of a crime, you still got to get a lawyer unless you want to go through legal aid, which we all know hmm, it's very hit and miss. So I'm now at this juncture in my life where the house that I was in, they didn't want me living there anymore. Now I had a girlfriend at the time I ended up moving into her place. So for a few months, I lived with her. I was still going to um, my my radio job, but again, things were not comfortable at all. Imagine moving in with your girlfriend, who you're already kind of not really in the best of um, qualms with, but also not really knowing what your future li ahead lies, and you're also in a house with her best friend and some chicks that she doesn't get along with, um, and all of their animals. And you're just forced to just make this your reality. And it's not like you can just, you know, go grab a new spot because you're in a bind. You're making 12 bones an hour and anything that you had accrued was gone. So now eventually, um, my girlfriend at the time ends up getting this modeling contract to go overseas to China. So I say to myself, well, that's a great opportunity. You should definitely take it. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do for my next move but I think I might leave the city because there's nothing left here holding me um, to this town. Now again, bills are piling up. I end up getting my car repossessed because I couldn't make the payments on my vehicle. So I'm in this jam, this pickle, if you will. So I say to myself, well, if there's nothing else here, I might as well just pack it all up and go to Toronto. My sister lives in Mississauga. It'll be an easy transition for me. I'll figure it out out there. Also, the reason why I wanted to leave the city was because with these charges came some stipulations. And some of those being that I was not to be seen with any of the people that I was arrested with. Now, some of those people, you can't avoid it if I live in that city because, you know, we frequent the same places and so on and so forth. So it could be as easy as me just going to the grocery store, bumping into that person. The police happen to be there. Guess what? I'm in bars and they're not letting me out. So, and also they told me that I wasn't allowed to drink or smoke weed or anything fun for that matter. Um, while this case was pending. 
Now, of course, this isn't an overnight thing. It's not like you get charged next week. We find out what the outcome is. No, this is something that was going to drag on for years. And it did, in fact, drag on for close to four years. So let's fast forward. So now I moved to Toronto in 2013, September 1st, 2013, which is why this is a little significant because um, by the time this comes out, it'll be the day prior to September 1st, which is when I'll be moving back to Toronto. Now in 2013, when I moved, I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't know what I was gonna do for income. Again, I tried to save up as much as I could in order to just move. And then I slept on my sister's floor in Mississauga for two months before I found a place. Um, and once I moved um, to Toronto, I you know, sent my resume around. But again, I didn't have much real world experience outside of you know this media stuff. And with radio jobs, they come, they go. People fill up those slots, especially in a city like Toronto, they get filled up quick, fast. So I'm in Toronto and I get a couple of calls. Now they're all these, these um, pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing jobs. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna make any money out here. So I wanna focus on some stand-up. So I did stand-up comedy for a couple of months, but again, I was two, three years into doing stand-up. I wasn't seasoned enough to be able to get um, reoccurring income from it just yet. So I'm in this tough situation where I'm like, okay, hey, well, do I try to, continue to pursue this amazing passion of mine of um, doing stand-up comedy? Or do I, you know, just fold, get a day job, and then, you know, hope that one day I can revisit this? So I ended up working with one of these multi-level marketing jobs. I don't know what you're thinking. Marcel, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? You know, you're bilingual. You know, you're well-spoken. Well, here's the thing. When you're 25, naive, and surround yourself with misfits who don't necessarily have a lot of work experience. When you have a pending trafficking charge, you start to feel very insecure about what it is that might pop up in an interview. So you pretty much take whatever comes your way. So when I first got this job, I, um, I knew I was going to be making much, but I knew if I worked really hard, I could probably get myself somewhere. So, you know, it's sales and I, within the first year was the number one salesperson in Canada in doing what it was that I was doing. Now, granted, a lot of this um, sounds like um, I was in a, a trap or in a rut. I enjoyed a lot of the things that I was doing. I got to do door to door, which, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend if you, if you don't have thick skin because you do take a lot of no's on a regular basis. But the reality is, is that um, I probably wouldn't have been able to experience Toronto in its true essence had I not been able to go to all of these different neighborhoods, speak to people in their homes, learn about their cultures, um, and just, you know, as a person who prides themselves on people watching and just understanding how people tick, it was fascinating for me to be able to get that experience that wasn't diluted. Because you can watch shows, you can read books, but there's nothing better than just being in that person's presence. Now, don't forget, I, this entire time I'm paying for lawyer fees. The occasional time I have to fly back down to Winnipeg to go for a court appearance. And this thing keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Now, I want to say it was 2016 or 2017. I don't exactly remember when, but um, finally it came for the final trial. And once I had gone into this 
um, courtroom, I had spoken to my lawyer prior and he pretty much had told me, you need to mentally prepare yourself for this because as it stands right now, it looks like you are going to be convicted of, um, these charges and, um, you know, you won't face any jail time, but you're looking at at least, you know, five months probation. Uh, you won't be able to cross the border. Um, and a laundry list of just, you know, these uh, consequences for these alleged actions of mine. So I'm just mentally preparing myself for all of this um, dramatic stuff that's going to unfold. So it comes to the point where literally moments prior to um, uh, the hearing, the other lawyer for somebody else who had been charged came to my lawyer and told him, yeah, this person's going to take the charge on my behalf. So what ended up happening is I was expunged of all of the things that I was charged for, meaning um, it still existed on my record, but I wasn't actually convicted of any crimes, meaning that I could still travel to the States. Um, I didn't have to you know, serve any time or do any probation or community service, nothing. Um, the only stipulation was is that they had to keep all of the funds that they found of mine as proceeds of crime. And um, that was that. So now I'm going back to Toronto in, you know, 2017. And I essentially have a clean slate. Now I still ran into a couple of problems trying to cross the border where this thing popped up and they were kind of like, mm, yeah, well, you know, we can still choose whether or not we want you in our country. So, but ever since I've flown, no, no issues. Now I'm at this juncture again in my life where I say to myself, I'm like, okay, well, now that I've wasted almost a handful of years, just kind of, um, beating this, this case, which by the way, I'm feel like I can say it now. It was for marijuana and that shit is legal now. So even if I would have been found guilty of that shit, it would have been probably stricken from my record at this point uh, in time. So all that to be said is that I still kind of had this, this looming insecurity about myself, or I felt like I had just wasted all of this time with a job that really didn't generate any money whatsoever. Um, and consistently just found myself in these, um, these groups and these circles with miscreants. And that's not to say that, um, they're not great people. It's just to say that, um, I don't think that their motives and their drives and their passions really align with what it was that I, I feel like I, um, what my purpose is. But at the time, again, you, you're willing to put other people's um, priorities over yours because you, you feel lesser than when you've kind of been thrown around in the system a bit. So anyways, then it come, came to a point in around 2018 where I had been living in Toronto for a handful of years at this point. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, listen, I got myself fat. I'm drinking a lot and I'm really not getting any of the things that I want done. Um, in a timely fashion. And it's like, it's one of those things where I think where you turn 30 years old, you really start to put into perspective, like, what am I doing? And why am I not in a place where I need to be at yet? So after all that reflecting, um, I had some friends out in on the West side and it wasn't like I'd been to Vancouver, maybe a handful of times prior, but I'd never been to Kelowna before. So, um, I was like, you know what, let me go visit it, it at the very least 
I'll get a, you know, a, a nice little vacay out of the situation. So I would come to visit and there was something about the anonymity that I liked. I had that when I first moved to Toronto where you move into this big city and nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows your history. And you just kind of feel like you get this, you know, this fresh reset. So when I came out to Kelowna, I felt like that, except it was a smaller city. So you didn't need drip. You could literally walk around with some DC shoes and a fucking Volcom hat and I'd be the stylish motherfucker on the block. So I liked that there was this level of anonymity. And I also enjoyed the fact that, um, you know, there was a small town community or at least a sense of community because of how small it is. You're going to bump into the same people at the gym, the grocery store, and, you know, you start to develop that, um, that camaraderie, if you will. And when I came out here, I told myself, you know what, I'm going to try to change my habits and really try to figure out what it is that I want to do. So once I stopped drinking, once I started doing stand-up comedy again, once I started to blog again, started to meditate, started going on hikes, going on boats, just doing things that I wouldn't necessarily have done in Toronto. Um, I got to really reflect on myself, the people I care about, and what it is that my purpose is on this planet. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like... Um, I, I want to pursue things that not only make myself happy, but I feel like I want to just make people smile. And um, it's easier said than done. Now, with that being said, um, with COVID coming around, again, it puts you in that thing where you kind of, you're, you're forced to reflect on the things that really matter to you, the people that really matter to you. And I think with this pandemic, it's kind of forced me to um, stop making excuses, stop pointing the finger and really just go for the things that I want. So now let's go around full circle. Now, September 1st, 2020, um, I'm moving back to Toronto and this time I don't want to do things the wrong way. I don't want to go in with this insecurity. I don't want to go in with this ego. I'm going in to network, to be as productive as possible, and to give myself one last hurrah. Because we don't know what's, nothing's given to us on this planet. We've seen that, you know, a pandemic can literally stop the entire world. We see every single day in the U.S. people are getting gunned down just for the color of their skin. So I don't know how much time I have on this earth. I don't know how much time any of us has on this earth. But what I do know is that I have been given the ability to speak into a microphone. Whether you think it's good or not, guess what? I've gassed myself up. So I'm going to keep doing it. So the point of the matter is I'm excited. Um, not nervous. Definitely always have anxiety. I think um, might be some of these edibles kicking in. But either which way, um, I feel like anytime I enter a new chapter of my life, I get excited and then sometimes it falls flat. I'm going to try not to do that because at least this time when I'm going to Toronto, I'm going in sober, I'm going in with intention, going in with a purpose. And um, I feel like I have a certain level of discipline now that I, I wish I would have had um, 
before, but you know, we can't change the past. All we can do is look forward to the future. Um, so now after spending a half hour, just telling you about all of that, um, yeah, there was something else that I want to, to mention. So I'm, I said at the end of last week's episode, if you listened in that, um, there's something called the survival of the fittest. Now you've heard that expression go around, I'm sure a few times before, um, where it fits into this context right now is that I see a lot of artists mainly from Winnipeg, because again, the majority of my network is still based from there, but I see a lot of these artists that do the bare minimum in terms of what it is that they think is adequate for them to quote unquote, make it in this industry or in any industry for that matter. Cause this, this will apply to, if you're a local rapper, this will apply, apply to, if you're a local podcaster, this will apply if you're a local comedian, if you're a fucking painter, sometimes you see, um, celebrities or, um, someone in your domain or your profession or your designation, and you're seeing them living their best lives on social media. So you feel like when you get to a point where you can even do that at a small level that you've quote unquote made it, or that you're at least heading in the right direction. But what you fail to understand is that there are a lot of things that you're not seeing behind the scenes that that person is dealing with, which you may or may not even be built for. So I'll give you an example when it comes to the music industry. Now, this is only from what I've witnessed. Do I claim to know it all? Of course not. I don't know my ass from my elbow. If I put on a song right now, that shit's going double uranium. That shit ain't going nowhere. But what I can tell you is from what I've witnessed is that there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that one record is successful. So now there's, I feel like there's two different ways that somebody can reach success in the music industry. You can go the Russ route, which is literally just putting out music at such a, rapid rate that eventually something's going to hit. And then once it does hit, people go back and retroactively listen to all your shit. And then independently you end up winning off of that. Now, the reality is a lot of you don't have the work ethic for it. Why do I say that? Cause I'm seeing it. A lot of you, if you were told right now, yep, if you put out one record every single week for the next three years, you will make it in this industry. A lot of you guys would probably be supercharged up, really excited for four months. Then guess what? you missed one week. And in this industry, you can't, there's no weeks off. So that's one way of going about it. And you can listen to Russ's book if you want to learn a bit more about that. Now, the other way I, I, from what I've witnessed of how to succeed in the music industry is that you need to really bet on yourself. And sometimes it could just be the success of one record but it doesn't just happen where you make a good song and then it goes, you know, quadruple platinum. And all of a sudden you're at the MTV awards, you're at the Juno awards, you're at the Grammy awards. That's very unlikely. Now I'm speaking specifically to the artists in Winnipeg because I see a lot of their content. I see a lot of their social media posts. And I think, what I'm saying is, and I'm not saying this to discourage somebody, but I think it's maybe the, the tough loved conversation that nobody else in their circles are willing to have with them. I've seen some artists in Winnipeg who've put out good songs, 
but those songs will not just get scooped up organically. They may get a, a buzz in the city, maybe even in the country, but if you really want your song to break through and to cross over, you have to be able to bet on yourself. Now that doesn't mean that you're putting in a couple of chips. You gotta go all the way in. And I don't think a lot of you guys are built for it or that you even have um, the understanding of what I mean by you have to be willing to put yourself all the way in. Because if you have one song, listen to interviews with the, the, um, the owner of QC, like the label that runs the Migos, the baby and all those guys. He says that he invests a quarter of a million dollars per single just in radio spins. Now, granted, I'm not saying that you need a quarter of a million dollars to get your song to pop off, but you are going to have to invest in yourself. And that doesn't mean that you're going to spend a hundred dollars on Instagram ads. doesn't mean that you're going to spend, you know, a hundred uh, bucks on, you know, getting a nice outfit for your music video. No, I'm saying if, if you truly believe in your craft, you will do whatever it takes. You will save up until you can afford $10,000 a $10,000 verse for a feature. You'll save up so that you can essentially fake it till you make it. Because I'm seeing a lot of people with great songs that I just, it breaks my heart because I'm like, if I had the key to the magical door that was going to open up your career, I would do it. But unfortunately, you have to be willing to bet on yourself because ain't nobody else going to do it for you. And especially when you come from a small city, that's when you have to go even harder. You notice how everybody who's ever made it even remotely close to any mild success from your town, they don't live there anymore. Just because you and your homies get together in your friend's basement that you call a recording studio, you pump out a couple of verses, you get liquored, you shoot a couple of Snapchats and you go on Instagram live, that ain't what it takes to make it. And you're saying to yourself, what do you know? You're just some washed dude. You're right. I am just some washed dude, but I'm self-aware enough to realize that I have to put in a extra dextra mextra amount of effort for, in order for me to succeed. So if you want to get to a level where you can say, oh, you see, I told you so it ain't going to happen from just your homie's basement. So anyways, that applies, like I said, to every facet, every, every single thing that you do. I see some comedians in Kelowna that I'm like, yo, you are a killer. You are a murderer on stage. You have what it takes. You've got, you know, at least a solid, solid 45 minutes. Your crowd work is great. You write every single week and your stage presence, your look is unique and so on and so forth. But guess what? Nobody's going to get discovered in Kelowna. The population here is less than 200,000. It's not a very transient city aside from the summertime, just for the wineries and the boating and so on and so forth. But in terms of entertainment, I think Jerry Seinfeld came in the, um, a few months ago to on the West side and had a bad situation with, um, the owner or whatever the case was, the owner thinks called him an asshole or arrogant or something like that. But I'm just saying, there's not a lot of people passing by. You ain't going to get discovered out here in the Okanagan. So you have to be able to, to be willing to bet on yourself and go somewhere else. So I might not be as talented as the next guy, but I'll do what it takes 
I'll go live in the shticks of Toronto just and beg people to get onto their shows. I'll beg people to be a guest on my podcast and I will beg my way into this little world that we call the entertainment industry. Am I going to compromise and sacrifice my integrity? Nah, I've done that. I'm old now. Now I'm just going to do the things that I feel are necessary in order for me to take myself to that next level, which means sacrificing. And I don't think a lot of you guys really understand what the word sacrifice is, but it doesn't mean, oh yeah, okay, well I didn't go out this weekend. No, you gotta be able to not go out for an entire year, two years, three years, until it hits, until it connects. I could go on forever about some of the things that I've seen some people do in order to get to the, the level that they're at and they're still not guaranteed shit. So if you're not willing to outwork the person that's not even there yet, how the fuck are you going to make it into the world where these guys are machines in there? I'm listening to 50 cents audiobook right now, which is called, um, hustle harder, hustle smarter. And he talks about how there's a difference between being passionate and excited about the things that you want. And there's also just being annoying. The guy that rolls up to 50 Cent and says, yo, bro, play my song. Yo, I'm next. Just look at my IG. Just look at my IG. At least. That guy's not going to make it in the industry. That's not how you go about it. If you want to make it in, in uh, to G-Unit, one of the examples he gives in his book is that there was a guy who came in from France and he called in for an internship at G-Unit. He was like, yo, I'll do absolutely anything. They're like, well, we don't have anything right now. So what did he do? He studied their business and he realized, okay, well, they have an, a website that's running off of Flash. Well, I can build you a website that's based off of HTML. It'll run way smoother. So now that he's got their attention, he ends up going in there, fixing their website within the first you know, few weeks. They're already seeing a, a drastic change in their, um, the operation of their website. He ends up getting himself an internship and he ended up becoming their official photographer traveling the world and being around the group that he loved so much. But he was willing to take that internship and take a few no's along the way just to be able to get himself and infiltrate within the camp that he wanted to be in. Now, if you don't have any extra cool skill sets, yeah, it might be a little bit harder for you. But you have to use whatever tools you have been given or whatever things that you've learned along your path. And you got to be able to use that and stand on a ledge for the things that you believe in. Now, I know this probably sounds preachy, probably sounds like, oh, this guy's on his high horse, this guy's doing the most. No, I don't have all the answers. I don't have shit figured out. All I'm saying is, is that based on my experience, this is my second time moving to Toronto, exactly seven years from the first time. And what do I have to show for it? Nothing. I got a microphone and a couple of lights now. But the only difference is, is that my maturity has allowed me to, to enter it this time around with a little bit more of foresight as to what can happen if I decide to just piss it away. Cause those years will go by. If you're like in your early twenties, if you're like some 23 year old who's watching this right now, you're 21 and you're like, see, look at this guy. He's washed. Thank God. I'm not going to be like this guy. And guess what? I was once that motherfucker who was like, that guy's washed. I remember I went on an audition to, uh, for BET back in 2012. I just ran off my year of not having sex. I was living life. I'm like, yo, this is blessed. I'm having sex again. I just um, did an interview with the National Post. 
my face was all over CNN and, you know, uh, people recognized me in the streets. Shit was, was, was blessed. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a celebrity now, right? A hot-headed 23, 24-year-old. Not realizing that, you know, in the blink of an eye, all that shit, you know, people don't care anymore. And we're living in a, in a time now where the news cycles are fucking... So even if you did get something right now, a little bit of a buzz somewhere, that shit will come and go so much faster. So, I mean, you can't hold on to these moments where you think, oh, this is the one thing that I need and then I'm going to make it. No, you just got to keep fucking grinding. And even if the shit connects, when you do connect, that's when you got to go even harder because that little 10 seconds of fame will run out. Then what do you have? So, you know, success is just talent meets preparation. A lot of you motherfuckers don't look prepared. Shouldn't be taking you guys a year to drop a new record. What are you doing right now? Don't call yourself a stand-up. Don't call yourself a rapper. Where are your bars? So I want to see more people make it. Like, I know this may sound negative or whatever, but who knows? I don't even know if you motherfuckers even listen to this. You might have even tuned out after the first five minutes. All I'm saying is um, it's a cool, it's a cruel, cruel world. And you got to be willing to do what the, the next man's not willing to do. Um, and yeah, and, and face adversity head on. Don't don't uh, don't fold under pressure like I did. Um, but I don't regret any of the things that I did because I don't think how to, let's say, for example, when I first moved out to Toronto, I continued with stand-up comedy and I reached a, a mild level of success after a couple of years. I don't think I would have been ready to deal with, um, rejection at that point. Had I, let's say became a, a VJ on much music, um, which I almost did, but let's say I had, and then I would have realized, oh, well, these guys don't really get paid all that much. And then let's say after a little while, I say something spicy, say some controversial, I get kicked off and now I can't find work anywhere. Yeah. That would have affected me way more at this point in my life. Um, but now that I have, you know, been through real life experience and I'm trying to integrate myself back into that sphere, I keep, I have thicker skin. I can deal with a lot more of the things that kind of get, um, thrown my way, but all that to be said. I'm excited because this will be the last time you see me in this studio. Do I know what I'm going to look, what the, the setup's going to look like now? Cause I haven't even moved into my place yet. And you know how those photos are online. I'm getting catfished. So I don't know what the setup's going to be, but I am excited because, um, the reason I haven't been doing guests out here is because there are some interesting people in Kelowna. Let me, let me not um, lie about the town, but it's, um, it's limited in terms of, the amount of people that I can actually have sit down that would engage people. Because if you aren't from Kelowna, you might not know who these people are, but at least in a city like Toronto, you know, there might be some TV personalities, rappers, directors, producers, comedians that you might recognize if I had them on here. Um, and I feel like it would make for, for better conversations. So as soon as I get back down to Toronto, I've already got a few, um, some friends and some acquaintances and some people, just some mutual, um, connections that I I've made over the years that I'm excited to sit down with and have some real life conversations. So look, f look forward to the guests cause they are coming soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, my experience in Kelowna has been great. Um, like I said, it, it opened up my eyes to the simplicity of 
nature, minimalism, and just uh, that mixed with the pandemic and just being able to see, um, remove all of the, the materialistic things and, you know, the posturing and a lot of the fuga fake shit, it really kind of makes you think what is important. And I've been reaching out to some of the, the people that I, I know in Toronto and, you know, they, they embrace me with open arms just because I feel like there's a certain level of respect you have to have for a guy who can admit that, you know, I came out here, I failed, I came back or I'm coming back and, you know, I want to take another crack at it. There's a lot to be said about that level of perseverance because, I mean, there's nothing stopping me from just being like, you know what, I'm just going to pack it all in, get rid of this microphone, this little laptop of mine, and I'm just to sell some houses. Not to knock any real estate agents out there, but the reality is I would be great at it. Very personable and I look fucking great in a suit. But that to me is not what I feel like I was put onto this planet for. So again, I'm here for the long haul. Do you think I'm bothered that these videos on YouTube get 25 fucking views? No, I'm unfazed because I'm here for the long game. I know that this is something that is gonna take a very long time before it gains traction. I'm gonna have to have a bunch of cool guests that people wanna see and you'll see that I interact with different people a little bit differently. Um, it's very difficult to just be engaging for an hour by yourself in something that, you know, I'm only 20 episodes in. But again, um, you got to start somewhere. And I'm glad I started here in Kelowna because um, the city has embraced me with open arms. I've met some really, really cool people. And, um, you know, I've made some memories that I feel like I will take with me until I get dementia or Alzheimer's or one of those, you know, crippling memory diseases. But anyways, um, I do want to play one clip here because I feel like it's very important. I know this has been a very, you know, heavy and serious um, uh, pod, if you will. But um, Joe Budden, I think this clip went here, went pretty viral because he's currently going through um, some renegotiation dilemmas with Spotify, which I guess is not really a dilemma. He's pretty much just um, not looking to re-sign with Spotify. And he has his reasons. If you want, you can go on to uh, YouTube and just type in uh, the Joe Budden podcast, leaving Spotify. And then there's about um, 21 minute video there where he goes a little bit more in depth. If you want to listen to the last episode, which I think was three and a half hours long. Uh, well, maybe not the last episode because this is being released on Monday. I'm referring to the one that he released on Wednesday. Um, he goes in for about like three and a half hours and two hours of that at least are about his um, his experience with Spotify. And he says that by Saturday, he's going to be dropping another episode um, going into more detail, which um, if you're listening to this, you may have already heard that by now. So I'm out the loop. But anyway, so I'm going to play you this one clip because it's been uh, surfacing around the timelines. Um, Joe Budden pretty much explaining his experience with um, Spotify. See, and that's the problem with these fucking DSPs. I come from music, fam. Some of these, some of these rules that y'all are trying to put into effect, it's an old game. It's an old game. I come from music, which means I've been robbed and scammed for 18 years of my career in a game that I had no say-so on the rules that were being put in place. Podcasting, not so much, buddy. This is new ground. All you niggas is new here. Spotify, my contract with y'all, I helped design it. Y'all didn't know. <laughs> 
There's an entire ecosystem here that you have to respect. Have to. If you're looking to feed the soil. See, everybody's not looking to feed the soil. Some are just looking to take the fruit. Right. Gimlet comes. Support. 250. Guess what? We took our little money, guys. <laughs> None of y'all complained. None of y'all said nothing to me. We didn't do what the average artist would do in that position because what we've been taught to do in this position is while the leverage is at an all-time high, threaten stoppage of work. Right. So you can see how passionate he is about this. Now, first of all, one thing that I was a takeaway from this is that um, I had a very long conversation about Joe Budden today with, um, you know, somebody I always go back and forth about um, our views on him, I guess, and, and how he operates. Now, it's easy to see from the outside looking in if you haven't really been listening to his podcast for, you know, I guess the, the amount of time I've been, he's been doing his podcast for five years. I've probably been listening to every single episode for probably the last two and a half years straight. Not, and I'm talking like these three and a half hour episodes, I'll listen to the entire thing. I'm not skimming through it. I'm not stopping it or whatever. Um, and I think that's what makes his argument a little bit more valid is that because he's been in a space where a lot of podcasts will have ads, um, ad slots from at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, so on. Um, because he doesn't have that, there's a certain fluidity to his podcast that just makes it seem like they're not selling you something. And for him to have people engaged for essentially six hours a week says a lot about his level of podcasting. It's very difficult for him and three other people to have people not only want to listen to the end of their podcast, but be excited for the next episode. Because as soon as the episode ended on Wednesday, I'm over here like, damn, I can't wait to hear what, what they're going to say on Saturday because he just sends out a tweet saying, Oh, wait until you hear Saturday's podcast. And we were having this conversation about how, you know, there's, there's maybe uh, just to give an example. So Andrew Schultz, who's a stand-up comedian, Charlemagne the God, who's a radio personality, TV personality, and author, they have a podcast, a joint podcast entitled Brilliant Idiots. Now, I probably was a, a bigger fan of Brilliant Idiots than I was the Joe Budden podcast a couple of years ago. But then I realized I'm a fan of Charlemagne and I'm a fan of Andrew Schultz, and they do have a good podcast together, but it doesn't have that draw factor of because they're both very calm, you know, very witty, very sarcastic, very opinionated. But there's something to be said about Joe Budden's, um, the, the complexity of his personality, where he's very articulate, even in what you just heard right there. You can see he's passionate, but he's, he's illustrating everything that he needs to say without skipping a beat, doesn't really trip over his words too often. He's a very engaging personality. And for somebody who came from rap where he was, like he's mentioned, he's getting beat up in the industry for um, close to two decades, for him to have been able to cross over into a podcast sphere, which is still a relatively new network and thrive and be the number one podcast on one of the biggest um, DSPs, streaming platforms, it says a lot about um, his, his work ethic to be able to deliver those two podcasts every single week while still maintaining um, his appearances on Love and Hip Hop and his other show, State of the Culture, as well as his individual interview show segments, The Pull Up. So there is a lot to be said about 
um, his level of talent in this world. And then I got into discussing with this person where they were saying, well, you know, um, Andrew Schultz could probably pack a theater bigger than what the Joe Budden podcast live would do. And Charlemagne at a book tour would probably be able to bring in more people. And I'm not arguing either of those things. I definitely think that that is the case. If Andrew Schultz announced a stand-up show right now, I'd sell out in seconds. And if Charlemagne the God released a new book, it'd for sure hit the New York Times bestseller and he would have a, a huge lineup in every city that it'd go to for these book tours. But together as the Brilliant Idiots podcast, I don't think that they have as much of an impact and as much of a loyal following as what the Joe Budden podcast has brought. Because for me, where I don't do a group podcast, but I'm still very immersed in their opinions and their delivery and just also their, their, all their, their separate demeanors. Maul is the cool, chill, laid back guy. Joe Budden is the very animated, very self-deprecating, narcissistic, like he's so many different things all in one. And then Rory's like the voice of reason, the level-headed guy, slightly misogynistic. And then Parks, it just comes in with the, the left one, two. He's not even, his face is not even there. He's the engineer, but you know, he comes in with his insight um, and also acts as a voice of reason. But anyways, all that to be said is that, um, I'm very curious to see what his next move is. And I think what he's doing is important in, in the sense of being a martyr and putting his neck out on the line for something that he believes in because, um, the podcast game, it is still relatively new, even though you've got guys like Joe Rogan who've been doing it for a decade, but we're going to see this podcast ecosystem go through a lot of changes, um, over the course of the next few years, because, um, the fact that Spotify last year had just invested 300 million into their podcasting department and that they're going to be releasing video interface and all these different things are going to be happening. It is going to be interesting to see what podcasting is going to look like in the next few years. And my prediction, my hot take, if you will, is that there's going to be a new form of podcasting that's going to come out, whether it be like vlog cat vlog casting where they bring back vlogs but then they release them on these um dsps as these shorter segments more frequently or whatever the case is i'm just saying there's going to be something new that's going to come out and then people are going to try to figure out how to monetize off that people are going to try to figure out how to put ads behind that and it'll all be interesting and i'm here for the ride but i feel like um yeah we're already 55 minutes in so you know what why don't I give you a ratchet of the week and a whose man's is this? And then we'll wrap this dramatic bad boy up. Uh, so first things first, let's get into um, whose man's is this. Now, my boy, I Marquis, he doesn't miss when it comes to these remixes. Now, my question to everyone is who the fuck's man's is this? Because um, I've never seen this guy before. And again, just as goes to show that anybody can go viral on the Internet because this guy is seasoned. He's an older gentleman. And for him to have made it onto iMark Keys' radar, you know, the internet is a powerful tool. So without further ado, whose man's is this? I need to know. I really need to know. And whose man's is this? Whose man's is this? Well, shit, what are y'all doing? Screwing? Well, shit, what are y'all doing? 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 Screwing? Shit, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? I'm Marquis. 
screwing? Shit, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? Screwing? Shit, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? get the message there what are y'all doing y'all is screwing so whose mans is this i would like to know unfortunately i don't um and then lastly this guy could have been in the whose mans is this but instead makes it over to the the ratchet of the week um only because i've been seeing this guy around for it's probably been over a year now where this guy is i don't know um where he comes up with this stuff i don't know how he trained to learn how to do this kind of stuff i have no fucking idea but let's get into the ratchet of the week, shall we? Let's get ratchet, let's get ratchet, let's get ratchet, ayy. Let's get ratchet, 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 ayy. Let's get ratchet, let's get ratchet, let's get ratchet, let's get ratchet, let's get ratchet. Let's get ratchet indie, ladies and gentlemen. So now this guy, like I said, I don't know where he hails down from, but I've seen a multitude of different videos from this guy over the last little, uh, you know, 12 months or so. Now this one, finally I decided, you know what, we got to put this guy on the rash of the week. One, mainly because of his outfit. Um, he's always wearing something slightly provocative, but these pants right here, yeah, I don't know what is going on here. Whose who's, uh, girlfriend's closet got raided for him to find these pants, but here's the thing. He still shows a very you know high degree of difficulty in some of these things that he does over here. So. I'm just going to show you what I'm talking about, but I don't know his name. Um, uh, I'm just going to call him Kim Jong-poon because uh, he likes to do a lot of stuff with his mangina and his and his poo hole. So um, let's get into this guy right here. Yeah, I don't know how he does that. Like, he just flawlessly shot that thing through. Like, I don't know, man. But this guy, you know, well, let's give this guy a, a round of applause, shall we? For even just being able to go on the internet with those pants. You know, you got you to gotta be a, a very strong man in order to be able to do that. Um, and have a very low-cut V-neck. But either way, um, we have reached... Um, uh, an hour over here. So thank you very much. If you did actually listen to this entire episode, leave a comment so that I know that you're a real one. Um, and uh, yeah, make sure you leave a review. Let, let me know that I talk too much or don't talk enough or talk too dramatically or I need some more bars. But I know this one was a bit more of a, a heavy episode. But again, um, anytime I'm going through trans changes and transformations, I always feel like it's good to just reflect on kind of what got us here and uh, where we plan to go. So with that being said, thank you very much for listening. This has been episode 20 of the Tall, Dark, and Ratchet podcast with your boy, Marcel Williams. Make sure you stream me on all those platforms, even though Joe Budden might not be there in a few weeks. You know, you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, um, Google Casts. And of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Peace out, Kelowna, and peace out until next week, guys. See you next Monday.